So looking at the church, um, this was cut in half last week. We talked about church leadership, and we went through the pastors, and that's all we got through was the pastors. So now we're just picking up and going with the elders, going with the deacons, and then going with um, the congregation um, in those things. So we're just going to be walking through those pieces, and as we're doing this lesson, we're working off the Bible, but we're also trying to understand you know, how we function and why we function, the reason why we want to um, let you know how we function is just so you'll be able to see um, the dynamics of it um, because we are um, extremely um, different in how we function. And what I mean by extremely different is that when I was in seminary, they gave about 12, 14 ways for churches to function under their structure. And they said every church falls into one of these categories, 12, 14 ways. What churches yours fall in? And the professor was looking around and says, what church is your fall in? Where do you fall? Where do you fall? Where do you fall? And I was praying, God, I pray that he does not point to me because we don't fall into any of the 14. <laughs> and I didn't want to say that because Jefferson Baptist is known even up there. So um, I didn't want to say it. But sure enough, he didn't ask me. So, um, but we'll be able to explain the, how our structure, our structure works. Uh, first of all, looking at elders, um, number one in the Bible, the Old Testament, the elders were associated with Moses. Um, in his dealings um, with the people. The elders were um, in charge, necessarily, of the people, and they worked alongside of the pastor to make sure the people is going, are, are growing, to make sure the people in harmony is taking place in the congregation, to make sure that people are connected, uh, to make sure that even the pastor is, is going in a direction that is healthy for the people. Is a pastor going off this direction? Well, the elders would be people that would come up and say, you know, look, the people are hearing you, and this is what's taking place. This is what people are thinking. And I think that some of this could be right, and just kind of bring that into harmony as a base um, of a church. Exodus 3.16, this is the Old Testament. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So you notice the elders were gathered to deal with this situation. In Exodus 4.29, Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. So the elders are, the, in the Old Testament, the first that Moses went to. So this is kind of where it was designed as the church is being built. I've got a lot of people I'm in charge of, working with, presenting, to the, giving the Lord to. I need to find people that are underneath me. And as I find these people that are underneath me, working with me together as a body to make sure that the body is healthy. Number um, two, in the New Testament, uh, they were associated with apostles. Doing what? The same thing that took place in the Old Testament. Uh, working with the people. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And then 1 Peter 5, 1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So looking at the structure of the church, um, it is important for the church to specifically have elders. Uh, we do have an elder board. And uh, Pastor D, um, I'll just say that our elder board there's not that big of a turnover. In fact, I would say the turnover is almost not, you know, is not even there. Um, just in a sense that these elders have connected with the body, have walked with the body, 
have worked with Pastor D, have up supported Pastor D. There's all this history that has taken place in regards, in regards to his connection with the elders, in regard to the health of the church as they've worked together as one body. Therefore, if um, Pastor D gets um, discouraged, gets down, goes through different things that take place in his life, the elders um, are there for, for him. Um, the elders are also there um, for the body. Um, Pastor D walks in, and he, what does he do? He explains the vision of the church, the mission of the church, the proclamation of where the church is going to go, um, what offerings are taking place for this specific thing. So all those choices are not necessarily made by the elders, but are presented to the elders in an arena that will allow them to function as a very, very strong unit. So you don't have one person functioning by himself. You have one person working with a handful of people functioning as that core body working um, uh, with the church. And that is what's been taking place for years. There's always um, build has always been um, an, elder, an elder board. Um, the, and when I use the word authority, um, I would say authority would be something that's earned, something that's granted, but that authority is what gives direction of the church. A lot of that, all that authority comes from the senior pastor and the elders. Just recently, I've just been kind of in the mix um, with it as well. Um, so I go to the, the elders' meetings and, and, um, and I watch the direction go, push the direction with Pastor D. Um, Pastor D is um, uh, my mentor. He's somebody that has been in the ministry for 40 years. He's somebody I just sit back and I look at, I observe, and I, I learn. And uh, he's somebody that gives me instructions, somebody that if I make a mistake, he'll be the first person to support me, the first person to carry me. So that's, that's my position, my position right now. Um, Pastor D carries the momentum of the church, the weight of the church, the direction of the church um, under the elders, uh, with the elders, and I am alongside of that. So what that means is that means that I come with my young attitude and say, hey, we should do this, and hey, we should do this, and D and I, and then we go to the elders, okay, well, let's, let's do that. So that's kind of how it, it takes place. But in that process, there is an extreme amount of unity, uh, extreme amount of, of peace, unity um, in those things. So right now, Pastor D is in the process of getting his elders even connected, connected um, um, with me in the process. I would say behind the scenes has been very healthy, um, very good, extreme amount of unity that is there. So you guys can ask questions about the elders. I'm kind of going fast because I want to rest a lot on the congregation, which is you guys. Um, deacons and deaconesses. Um, does our church have deacons and deaconesses? Um, well, number one, we'll look what they are, and then I'll explain if we have them or not. It is the job of the deacons to serve the people in the church. If you go to many churches, we'd have the chief deacon, we'd have the chief deaconess, and they'd have a team that works, um, that works under them to make sure that people um, are served. Um, 1 Timothy 3.8 gives instructions of who the deacons are. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. So what we have done, Pastor D has done in the church, because I'm walking into it, which I think has been really healthy and, um, and really good, um, is that we're kind of an organic church. And uh, what I mean by um, 
organic is that um, people come and we try to get rid of them. <laughs> I mean, not, not exactly like that. <laughs> not exactly like this. But let me explain what I, I, just, what I just said. Is that we've planted um, eight churches um, that has taken place. Um, our goal is the kingdom of God. And if the kingdom of God is going to be effective very aggressively, we don't pick a handful of people to do it. What we look at is we look at the entire congregation. You guys' job is to serve the people and try to set everybody on fire for the purpose of serving the people. So we haven't located 10 deacons, 20 deacons. We look at, if you look at the bulletin, who's our ministers? It is actually the 1,500 people that we have on the list that we contact on a consistent basis. And so what's taken place in this organic thing, that organic category that, that is there, is an extreme amount of ministry is happening behind the scenes. People are going, people are serving, people are connecting, and there is aggressive people that have just been set aflame to do whatever they possibly can do for other people. Even um, last week, it seems like when I, I talked to somebody, oh yeah, this person called me, yeah, this person connected with me. That is the job of everybody. So we don't have 10 deacons. We have 80 deacons and deaconesses in this room. <laughs> you guys are the deaconess and deaconesses, and when our encouragement is to have this organic situation where people walk in and everybody embraces them. We also don't want 10 greeters. We want 250 greeters. I mean, just to be honest with you, we want an obscene amount of greeters that are taking place. For somebody to locate, this is the category, your greeters, your deacons, it's not organic enough. And we can't make the challenge that it's all of your jobs um, to do it. So instead of saying, your deacons, your greeters, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're going to get directly from our pulpit. Everybody that walks in the door needs to be loved. Are they going to be loved by you? That would be the question. And as a result, somebody should have 20 handshakes that is brand new as they walk in the door. That's what we'd like to try to get to. So we don't have deacons, we don't have deaconesses, but we have an obscene amount of people that are hearing the word, listening to the word, are connected with people, are loving people, and are taking care um, of people. And it's kind of that organic ministry um, that, is, that is taking place. Now, that is where in seminary it's like, no, you can't be organic. Um, well, you know, <laughs> it is, um, and it, it's been healthy. And uh, the other reason why um, we have made it that way is, like I said before, we try to send people out. People will come in, and when a church is planted, who goes? Well, if we get a pick, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd pick certain people. We'd pick, you know, oh, but the people, <laughs> not pointing any fingers, I'm just pointing to you, Francis, because I'm going to make a joke out of you. So just look. We pick the people that, that really give us a lot of problems. You need to go plant a church. And then we start picking all those people that will go plant a church. That's, that's not the people who go. I'm just picking on you, Francis. That's not the people who go. The people who go are the greatest champions that leave our church. There are some awesome champions that go and plant a church. It is a big hit. It is a very difficult birth pain that even goes through our church because we don't lose the people that um, are not doing anything we lose the people that are doing things, and eight churches is a huge, huge thing. So 
Um, and even when it comes to those church plants, I just want to make mention of this, which I should have made mention of earlier. None of the church plants um, would have happened if there was a congregational vote to make them happen. And the reason why is because they're painful. And Pastor D in himself feels that pain, carries that pain, and manages that pain. Therefore, he says, this is the vision of the church. And the elders go, oh, I mean, because it's not easy. We're going to go this way. And we can look back at the last 10 years, 15 years, and we can say the kingdom of God has been built as a result of that sacrifice. And we're excited about the church plants, but always walking through the church plants, there's no excitement because it's not easy. It's not healthy. I mean, it's not easy. It's healthy, but it's not, it's not easy to go through. So that's, that's one of the another reasons why D and the deacons are the ones, D and the elders are the ones that make those decisions because um, they're, um, they're not popular decisions to make. So that's, that's what's taking place. All right, so we're all deacons, and that's what will always be proclaimed. Greet people is not given to a handful of people. Greet people is given to everybody in the church. Love people is given to everybody in the church, and that would be the challenge. The congregation, which would be um, you guys. So when you look at the Bible, um, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says something radical about the congregation. Um, when it says these things radical, you want to look at them very, very closely because it should be the drive, the structure, and the function of our church. Uh, let's look at um, Ephesians chapter 2. Before we do, let's give a point. In the church, God brings people together who could never get along otherwise then turns them into a new man. It's reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, last week. And, um, and it was just a statement, don't marry if you, if, you can't, if you can hold yourself. Because if you do, you're going to have a lot of problems. <laughs> Spare yourself of problems. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what, it, that's what the, the, the passage says. Now, what was Paul communicating? Was he telling us not to marry? No, he was saying, marry, that's great. But what he's communicating is that we are sinful individuals and at the fall relationships are not easy. Relationships are very, very difficult. Now, you might raise your hand and say, I have never had an argument with my mate. Anybody want to raise their hand? <laughs> we all know relationships are extremely, extremely difficult. Let's just, let's just, just make the, the statement. And it is a process. It is a working process. It is, a, it is a grind sometimes. It is a sacrifice because you have two sinful individuals connecting as one flesh, and it's just not always easy. So that's what Paul is saying. Don't marry. It's a lot easier. That's just what he's saying. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy not to marry, and I'm glad I'm married, and I'm going to stay. I mean, we'll always be married. So, but that is saying that relationships are very difficult. All of a sudden, we have a group of people. <laughs> you put two people together and get them really close, put them in the same house, it's not going to be easy. But all of a sudden, now you have a whole bunch of people that are coming together. So God wants to make, Paul's making a statement about the church. I want to bring them together who otherwise would not get along. But in this structure, I want to give them the tools that they would love each other and connect together as one unit not two. Let's read the passage. Ephesians 2, chapter 11. Therefore, 
Remember that formerly you were who Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. All the way through 1 Corinthians, Jesus is the head, and all of us have been brought together through one absolute thing, and that would be the blood of Christ. And that is what we all have in common. And if we have the blood of Christ on us, we should have forgiveness in us. If we have the blood of Christ on us, we should have love pouring out of us. If we have the blood of Christ on us, we should have commitment and service aggressively coming out of our bodies. You see what he's doing is he's making all of us one unit under him. And according to this, under his specifically, the cross under his blood and saying, this is now how I want you to live. This is now how I want you to live. Because you're not going to be one man, one lady, two men, two families. You're going to be all these families coming together with one thing that is going to be going to be your head. And if that is your head, we will all be able to get along. Because how can I not forgive? I like pointing fingers. Bob. <laughs> just, just, I'm just trying to wake people up. Who's sleeping? How can I not? If Christ has forgiven me. You see how that works? How can I not love Dan if Dan has, has loved me? How can we not forgive when we've been so radically forgiven? Do you see how God is creating this church as a unit of complete unity and complete harmony with people? One thing that is in our church that we know that it would crumble just like this if unity is not there. And the word is unity. Um, in fact, unity is at the top of the surface at Jefferson Baptist Church. Because unity is explaining that we are a unit, and our unit's foundation is the cross that gave us unity, the cross that speaks unity, the cross that has built all of us together, the cross that allows us to forgive. So under any circumstances, in fact, D even says this, my job before, and even when I'm just an elderly, senile person that's about ready to go in the grave, I will fight for unity in the church under all and every single circumstance and situation. So what do we do? That's a big part of our job. Okay, we're not unified. We've got to get unified. How can we do this? And, you know, that's what we do. That's what we do as a body. I would say that as a result, our church is extremely unified um, because it's our largest focus. It is the ultimate focus. And I would say that through the years, our church has been walking as one body, one heart, one mind, and we'll get rid of anything, not get rid of, but move things around to make sure that that continues um, to happen. Because it's bringing a lot of people together and being this new man, this new body, according to this passage, you're going to see it, a new person. If we're not unified, then we're not that new person. So that is our responsibility. Number five, the church, in essence, is a new humanity. 
So if uh, um, a church is not a club, uh, what's a club? A club is when we have something um, in common. Um, in other words, let's just say Weight Watchers. Okay, Weight Watchers is a club. What do Weight Watchers have in common? Everybody shows up to the club because they want to do something. They want to lose weight. <laughs> so that's, that would be, that would be um, considered um, a club, golfing club. Everybody shows up because they have a common interest. What do they do? They want to, to golf. So the common interest all comes here. So we can think of the church as, church is, is like a club. We have a common interest, and the common interest is Jesus, and we show up to, to, um, to worship Jesus. The argument would be, the church is beyond that. The church is so far beyond that. The church is not showing up because we have something in common, but the church is showing up so we can build ourselves together under the majesty and beauty of Jesus Christ. So we're not a club, we're actually a unit that is connected to the deep and heart soul of what we call the body of Christ. Let's look at this passage. For he himself, this is still in Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's what Jesus does, wiped it out. By abolishing in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to do what? Create in himself one new man out of two. How many times have you read Ephesians and just passed that over really fast? I mean, that is a radical statement to the church. I'm going to take two men and I'm going to make him one. And this is what he's wanting to do with the church out of two. Thus making, doing what? Peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, I am going to take two people and I'm going to make you one person that is a unit that loves each other, even like a husband and wife, because we have this all the way through the church. A unit of husband and wife that loves each other, that has the one thing in common, but the one thing in common does nothing more but connect you even further in that thing in common, which would be Jesus Christ. God wants to make a new man out of us, and what does that new man look like? All of us, Christ being the head, but yet we're one unit, which is the body of Christ. Number six, what we have in common as Christians is more than what we have in common with our culture, social class, race, or gender. So what's interesting about the church, of this becoming a new man, is that we hang out with people that we have things um, in common with. We have a social class. It's like, you know, I have a common with a social class there. I have a common with, you know, people in America. We live under one culture, and I have a lot of people in common in there. I have um, commonality with, with men. I'm a man. He's a man. We understand it. We understand that, and I married a lady, and I, we're different. I mean, that's just, it's, we, we are. Um, it's good, it's healthy, it's strong, it's beautiful. That's what God wants. But, you know, the, it's not like I have everything in common with my wife. So there's different, we have things in common with people. What he wanted done with the church is he says, I'm going to put something there where you have something extremely in common. And that is going to be the center of his cross. A new culture. Just to give you an example of what this is saying, 
is that, you know, I have, um, we work with Africa. And um, in Africa, there is um, a different culture out there. And uh, the culture is completely and entirely different in regards to marriage, in regards to relationships, in regards to how we function with money, in regards to how we look at life, in regards to, it's just, it's just absolutely, completely different. Um, my best friend is, one of my best friends is in Africa, um, Ben Margai. We work together, we walk together, when we go there, we love each other, we're strong, strong friends. How could I be such a strong connected with him when I live in a culture that I can easily be more connected with? The reason why is because our commonality that God wanted to give us was himself. Therefore, I have more in common with somebody from a completely and entirely different culture than I do with somebody that wants nothing to do with Jesus that lives in my culture, that lives in, in, in my area. You see, what Jesus is trying to do is he is building this something that is the most largest thing that we can possibly find where we can look at everybody and say, we understand each other, we walk together, we have the same worldview, we have the same desires, we have the same cross, we have everything that is absolutely the same. And then you can have whole Africa comes in that's preaching the gospel, and they would fit so far in. It has crossed race, it has crossed gender. Christianity crosses absolutely everything. So for somebody, just to make the statement, somebody to show up at church and say, well, you know, I have uh, problems with, you know, genders, or I have problems with, with, you know, being racist or those things, that is so sick and anti-Christ. Because what Christ is, is he's the answer to the world. I've come to give you the one thing that crosses everything, and you hold on to that one beauty that you always have in common. So we watch the news consistently. And there's always this tearing, this ripping of, of, you don't have this in common, we don't have this in common, we're not doing this right, we're not doing this right, we're not doing this right, we're doing this right. How do you organize it? Christ is ahead. The church. And when that church is there, you are one body that is completely, entirely unified. So how will the world see Jesus? The world will see Jesus by what? By seeing us as a body that is loving each other, is unified, has crossed all cultural barriers, all gender issues, all everything, and saying, this is us, with Christ being the head. Number 19, or this is um, uh, Ephesians chapter 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. You see what Paul is doing, explaining. You're no longer any foreigners or anybody cast out who are aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You have now changed your entire identity. What are you? You're with this church. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in his spirit. You see that we're so much more than a club? <laughs> the church is not a club whatsoever. The church is a body. The church is a unit. The church is love. The church is walking in one mind. The church is walking with one head. The church consistently forgives each other, consistently loves each other. Everything that the world is starving for, they should be able to walk in the doors of a church and receive it. 
through us in our behavior that has taken place. Okay, so now looking at how our church is broken up, I just want to show um, kind of a slide. This is kind of explaining Jefferson Baptist Church, a slide or a picture. Um, this, is, uh, um, this is, you might have seen this before, Rick Warren brings out, a lot of people do bring the structure out of how is our church um, broken up. Um, around is um, community. Community it would be the unchurched people, the people that we love because Christ loved us. We don't have the commonality, but we want to give them the gospel. They need salvation. If you want to keep that up there, I'll be walking, I'll be walking through that. Oh, no, I guess we are walking through these. Um, would be the unchurched, would be the crowd. Um, that would be the community, the community of people that are outside the church. Um, Jefferson Baptist believes that we are created for people that are outside, even more for people that are inside. So in other words, what we have is we have a commonality that is there, and we are a unit, but for what purpose are we that unit? The reason why we're that unit is because people need the Savior of the world outside. Therefore, we function in this harmony for the purpose of getting the community. Uh, then you have the crowd, those who show up um, every once in a while. Um, you ever heard the people that you know, come twice a year or people that says, hey, we got an event to take place. What we want to do is we want to get the crowd here. We want to get the group of people here. So we try to get people here. And when people here, what do we do? Unfold the word of God, present the word of God, pray that they would find God. That would be the crowd in this structure. And then you have the, the congregation. That would be people that are inside the congregation that are maturing. In regards to maturing, people that would be praying, people that would be um, reading their Bible, people that would be growing in a relationship with God, people that would hear a sermon, listen to a sermon, respond to the Word of God, go home, hang on to it, and obey it. Those would be people that are, are, are maturing. And then you'd have the committed, those who serve, pray, um, use um, their gifts. They walk in this church and says, okay, I'm going to do something. What's taking place? Oh, VBS has taken place. Therefore, I'm going to serve. I'm going to pray for it. Five days of prayer. I'm going to show up with the body. I'm going to pray. These are people that are a little bit more than maturing. These are people that are maturing but says, I'm going to take it to a different level. And I will say that when they take it to that different level, that's when Christianity comes alive, is when they start serving. Christianity consistently hangs on. I'm maturing, I'm maturing, I'm maturing. But if we don't take it to the next level. We'll sit there in kind of a rut. We need to take it to the next level, and that would be in the area of serving, in the area of praying, in the area of using our gifts. And then you have um, the core, and those people would be uh, responsibility, taking responsibility for the body. Those are people who walk in there and say, you know what, our body needs this. Um, Our body needs a small group of younger people that is connected I'm going to build a small group for younger people so they can connect with our church. Our body needs an elderly group. I'm going to connect with this. Our body needs a prayer time, an additional prayer time. Yes, we have 20. We need 21. I'm going to do a prayer time at this place. Um, this is one way that we function where churches don't function. Um, a lot of people, um, the church staff, are the ones that do all the, the work. <laughs> um, Pastor D looks at me, and it's going to sound really bad. He's like, you are not the one that does all the work in regards to the ministry that takes place. Your job is to be in the Word, labor in the Word, labor in prayer, and do a proclamation of the vision that's taken place so people are doing the work. Many churches don't grow beyond 200 And the reason why they don't grow beyond 200 is because that is all that the pastor can handle. 
Jefferson Baptist is different. What Jefferson Baptist says is look around. If there is a hole, go after it. I made this statement before, but if somebody comes into my office or comes into Pastor D's office and says, you know what our church needs? Our church needs this. It is ridiculous that we don't have it. Do you know what our response is? Oh, you are exactly right. Thank you for signing up. And <laughs> that, it, all the response keeps going that way because we don't go on a need basis. We go on a leader basis that walks in there that observes the body. And when he observes the body, they respond to the body that says, this is what the church needs, therefore we'll do that. Now, many people don't step forward and do that because they're intimidated that they get rejected um, by um, the pastor. Well, you think we need this, but I don't think we need this, so I don't, we're not getting, that will never happen to Jefferson Baptist Church. If you got something on your heart and mind that you think that the church needs and you want to do it, you know what answer you're going to get? Take off and run. <laughs> do it. The Homeland Missions receives about $80,000 in a special offering once a year. Where did that come from? It came from Dick and Llewellyn walking the door and says, this is what the church needs. <laughs> and of course, D goes, oh good, I'm glad you signed up. They go, we did. And this is what we need to get going. We need a special offering. D says, oh good, we need this, we need this, we need this. He says, good, there it all is. And then he just lets it go. And then they take off and they run. And all of our ministries are even funded, supported, and driven by that, that special offering of Homeland Missions. That's how our ministries grow, is everybody in the church finds out something that the church needs, and then they come and they say, this is what I'm going to do, and then they just do it. There's no micromanagement. There's no control. Now, how far do we get in this? One person came up to me and, and said that um, I want to do a, um, a small group on um, speaking in tongues and um, speaking in tongues. And um, I'm thinking, I'm Baptist. <laughs> you know, there's a Baptist church. Are you speaking in tongues in a Baptist church? So, you know, as I'm talking, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but this is just my nature. This is my heritage. This is my reaction. I just, I don't speak, I don't speak in tongues. And that's my human reaction. And, and um, so I, I talked to Pastor Dean. He says, you know, somebody wants to start a small group and speak in tongues. You know, I kind of, uh, you know, um, said, you know, we're, we're Baptist. And, and he looked at me and says, why? Why did you shut that down? He said, God puts things inside of us. And when things come inside of us, because we're the ministers, and you bring it up to the surface, it's okay, let them do it. He says, I know three people in our church that speak in tongues. That small group will be those three people and that person. <laughs> That's okay. If it's from God, it's all, it's all going to work. Are you going to go on a rampage that you can't speak in tongues? No, we'll never go on that rampage you can't speak in tongues. In fact, the talks in the Bible speaking in tongues. I just don't speak in tongues. So, sure enough, it was introduced, and you guys probably even saw it. This was a couple of years ago. It's introduced, and it didn't last very long, probably because we're Baptist, <laughs> but that's all right. But we're not going to stop that. Um, somebody else came in on fasting. We're not going to stop that. If somebody has a mission for fasting, we'll, in, we'll introduce it, and people that want it will, will move towards those, those um, directions. Now, people say, well, that can get really, really messy with visions and people thinking that way we're going to bring stuff to the surface. And you know what? It can, but it never has. It has never gotten messy. We've watched it for the last 40 years. People know what's being preached from the pulpit, and there's almost just a sense of this is where we're at as a body. 
And when we're this way as a body, we're continually walking as a body. And if it's from the Lord, it will happen. And if it's not, it seems, it seems to die. But people are not being shut down. Now, if you come and say, you know, I'd like to, you know, start a, something that's contrary to the Word of God. I almost brought up something specific. I won't do that. Something that's contrary to the Word of God. Then we'll be like, oh, okay, okay. This is not where we're going we're gonna to go. But something that's in line with the Word of God, bring the ministry to the table and you would receive that support. So the committed are those who walk in the door and say, what does this church need and what can I do about it? And that is where the committed are. The core are those who take responsibility. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not committed, that's the core. Those who take responsibility for the church. And then we have the commissioned. Uh, the commissioned are people that we just send out. You're gone, we don't want you anymore. Um, we've got a lot of those in Africa. <laughs> Get out of here, go to Africa. <laughs> you know, that's, that's God, the way they, 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 he works on people. We want people ministering to other people around the world. We have missionaries that are full-time in Africa. They have been commissioned from this church. We pray for them, and they are gone. They're still part of our church, but they are where we want to go. We want to commission as much people as we can, and that's why we even plant churches, commissioning people to get outside of even Jefferson Baptist Church and go for the kingdom of God. A lot of churches don't do that. A lot of churches say, okay, you're part of this body. Don't leave this body. We're not that way. You're part of this body, and our goal is actually to commission even beyond this body and if you can be helpful somewhere else. So as a result of the commissioned people, and I will say that we have a lot of them. Um, as a result of the commissioned people, is we have people come on Saturday night, pastors who preach churches on Sunday morning. We have elders come on Saturday night who work with their churches on Sunday morning. We have a lot of people that tithe to their home church and are taking all of our resources from this church. This church is not their home church. They tithe there, they come here, and they say, well, we need this, we need this, we need this. What we're doing, we're like, you're commissioned. Go, go, take everything, everything you need. That's where we want to be. That's why we don't have membership. Because when it comes to membership, you now have a class, and you can't break them outside of membership. Well, are they members? They're in Africa. They're not here anymore. What is the, con- what is the concept of membership? The concept of membership is put everybody to work and scatter them everywhere. And that's why we look at and say, if you've been here for three times, you're a member. <laughs> you're a member of our church. Yeah, do whatever you want. <laughs> go. It's time. Go to work. That's, that's the way Jefferson Baptist functions. And if I said that in seminary, they'd look at me and say, that's not very healthy. And I'd say, well, come visit our church, and we'll see how healthy it, it, it is. And, and Dee is completely excited about that. I will tell you that that I've, um, it was an adjustment because it is radical and it was an adjustment even for me. I'm like, you're going to just let them do that? You're just going to let them go? And he's like, yeah, stay off their backs. Go away from them. You're, you're your pastor. You go do your own thing. You let them go. Let them go do their thing. So it has been healthy and it has been good um, and we consistently want to make sure that people are even commissioned and sent out. So questions about this or questions about um, our church, feel free to ask anything that you would like because we are a little bit weird and and what was the comment somebody did evaluation our church i think i can't make the comment right but d says we're like a wild spaceship traveling through outer space with no necessarily direction but a whole bunch of love and a whole bunch of ministry (laughs) i mean and and ministry is taking place ministries i didn't think i said that right but uh 
um, but those things. Is it dead better? Okay, um, I'll, I didn't hear the second question, but I'll answer the first, and then I'll ask, I'll ask for a second. What is our position, JVC's position, with, with ladies being leaders um, in, in the church? Um, ladies um, are leaders. Ladies are ministers. Ladies are commissioned to serve, commissioned to give, commissioned to, I would even say, to teach. Um, but when it comes to, this, that's, that's our position. When it comes to, okay, I quit, there's a job that's open, you know, for a pastoral position. You know, we will hold, um, we'll hold on to the passages in the scripture that don't let the women lead the congregation. So we are relaxed about that here. And but when it comes to okay, there's a position that's going to take place here. We don't. Um, um, how do I? How do I even say this? This nicely. We'll hold on to uh, Timothy or First Corinthians that talks about. Um, lady speaking in the church, revealing uh, the revelation for the word in the church, and we'll hang on to that strong and say, you know, the position is, is, for, is, for, um, is for the man according to the, according to the Bible. Now, is there any discrimination in that? People can take that and say, well, that is discrimination. Um, I don't believe that is discrimination because the ministry that the ladies hold is sometimes even more stronger and more powerful than that of the man. And where I pull my passage of scripture in that is the comparison of the husband and the wife. The wife is to be submissive to the church like Jesus was submissive to God. Um, that is the strongest position you can possibly, or submissive to the husband like Jesus was submissive to God. That was the strongest um, position you can possibly ever be in in a sense of Jesus, I'm laying down my life for the building of the structure and the building of the body. So I would say it is a healthy thing um, that men are preaching the word of God. And, um, and I would say that that should not discourage, discriminate anybody from doing all sorts of ministry um, whatsoever. But you will not probably get, okay, a lady come and, and preach. So because we'll hold to that first, first Corinthians. And just because... The Bible says that. God knows our hardware more than we do. God knows our mind more than we do. God knows how we function uh, more than we do. And for some reason, you want, they want a stupid man up there. I mean, that's just what the Bible says. And uh, I mean, just, just in a sense that, you know, I, should, I shouldn't be up here. This is probably ladies that can do a lot better than I can. But I guess from my stupidity, ministry could be taking place. Because that's why he wants it to happen. And what was the second part of the question? Regards to people that are divorced, great, um, great, great question. In regards to people um, that are um, divorced, um, you'll use that passage in First Timothy that uh, a husband um, of of one of one wife. Um, it's um, a difficult question. It's a, a strong question, and it's a question that that I'm like, huh? Okay, well, we've got to come up with an answer on this question. We do not. We do let people that have been divorced in ministry, um, in even an elder role and even in a leadership role. 
um, the areas that we hold on to um, very, very strong is the areas of um, one, per, one wife. That's, they shouldn't have two wives. That's where we take that passage. <laughs> I mean, that's probably good. We don't believe in, you know. Um, but um, so we would hold on to that if you've been divorced, we work with a redemptive God. We work with a God who is strong, a God who is whole, a God who is healthy, a God who is full of grace. And when it comes to those logistics, well, you did this, you did this, you did this, um, we don't bring those to the surface. We bring more grace to the surface than probably even most churches. Um, and I will tell you why we bring more grace to the surface than most churches is because the pastors are not, we do not take the role as sin managers. Um, church discipline. Uh, is heavy in a lot of different churches. Um, and when it comes to church discipline, what does it look like? The pastor confronting, you need to do this, not this, you know, in those things. And, and, and I will tell you that it is absolutely and completely exhausting to manage sin. And you will wear your pastor out like crazy to manage sin. And, and don't take this wrong, but a sinful person is walking towards a sinful individual and pointing out their sin, and that is so easy because we never see ours, but I can see all of yours. <laughs> it's, it's there, and as I see all of yours, mine actually goes down, and I think that I'm not a sinner as I continue to build myself up confronting you. See, that's a structure that works. So when we come to the pulpit and we're starting to, to preach, uh, what do you hear consistently preached stop don't this is bad this is wrong you don't hear that if you ever notice that what you do is we always work on the offensive rather than the defensive the defense is, is you sinned therefore i'm going to make sure that everything's defense that's taken care of and what it does is it pulls the body backwards offense is look at the cross and everybody look at it, and everybody follow it, and everybody driven towards it. And as our focus is there, it's the only thing that's going to change you. A confrontation isn't going to change you. Bringing somebody up here to the front and say, okay, we need to have church discipline on this person, and the reason why is because he's done this, he's done this, he's done this, and this is our structure as a body. That's a step, we believe, that's a step backwards rather than a step forward. Because our focus is not the cross through all this. The focus is this person needs to do exactly what he is supposed to do as a believer when all of us are messed up people. And, um, and as all of us are messed up people, there is room for redemption in absolutely everything. And if um, there is an evaluation that takes place, I would say with every elder that has been divorced, and the questions we ask, Why? You know, what's going on in that person's life? All that history. But then the, the statement is made through the evaluation, not the fact. Because then we can get into the fact, okay, give me the exact reasons why you're divorced and all those things. No, there's an evaluation on people on where they're at, you know, um, where they're at spiritually. We will hold, and we do hold. I just tell you, reading the Bible is just so refreshing. Um, that when Paul's letters were written to the churches... They were written to messed up churches. I mean, if you think of 1 Corinthians, oh my goodness. All right, you need to stop sleeping with your 
mother's son, or just, just weird stuff. I mean, it, just, it gets radical. It's crazy. I mean, the confrontations that are taking place. Don't worship pagan gods. You know, those are the letters that he was given. Well, when you read that, it's like, those churches are so messed up. We're much more better than they are when we're really, it's like, you know, we are so messed up. And what are we going to preach? We don't want any eyes to come off of that gospel, no eyes to come off of grace. Therefore, we were not sin managers. That's a long answer to your, <laughs> to your question. Oh, I think we have a battery now. Yeah, I know. You just <laughs> everyone to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I can't figure it well, out either. I, I want, this, is a, this is a compliment, a comment of encouragement for you, Mike. Mm-hmm. You, you made a profound statement, and I've lo- maybe that really struck me, and a lot of folks here might have missed. I just came through several situations that there was, a, you know, in the past few years. Uh, there were some offenses brought against me, and, 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 and you made a statement that really struck me as to how can we not forgive when we have been so radically forgiven? Think of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just saw the movie. Uh, uh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. There, mm-hmm. there. You talk about uh, uh, forgiveness. That should have struck home to, to everybody mm-hmm. about forgiveness. So I, I just want to encourage you. I, uh, Thank you. I don't know if you realize how profound that meant to me, what mm-hmm. that, how that ministered to me, yeah. because I was faced with that situation when yeah. it was like that gentleman, in, like, like the, the, the son of that father in that movie, mm-hmm. that it, it was difficult. But, you know, yeah. when you forgive, when you forgive without, uh, 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 unconditionally, what, what, what a release. And thank yeah. you for that statement. Absolutely. And just with your comment, I just want to bring up that if we were involved in church discipline, what are going to be our arguments? Our arguments are often our behavior, you know, um, well, you behave this way, therefore you should be disciplined. But the largest arguments in the church are in the, in the Word of God is forgive as you've been forgiven. We need to pull people up here that have, I mean, I'm just pretending like church discipline, pull up people here. Okay, this person is not forgiven. That would be the ultimate church discipline, but forgiveness is not a switch of a button. Forgiveness is the location of hanging on to the cross and the Holy Spirit working inside of us. So why preach, okay, I'm not going to discipline you for not forgiven, therefore, since you don't, of course, you've been molested as a child, but you need to forgive anyway, and then it's just, it's a whole management structure that we just don't get into because we want to hang to that cross so people will forgive. We want to hang to that cross so people will live righteousness. We want to hang on to the cross so all those things will take place. But thank you for bringing that up, Francis. Yeah, Bob. Just a quick comment. I, when you're talking about whether or not women can preach or not, mm-hmm. I, something always pops into my head. The first thing that pops in my head is as I was in my working career, when I had a woman for a boss, the women were always the best boss I ever had <laughs> because they were good leaders, they were good instructors, 
And also I was thinking, why is it that most churches just have men as pastors? And I think the reason is because in general there, there's, a, there's a vision in the congregation that I don't want to do what a woman tells me to do, you know, that kind of thing. But, but it doesn't mean that the women are any less valuable, you know. I think the reason God sent his son to earth rather than his daughter to earth is because he knew that the, the, the human nature would not follow females because that's the way the nature was back then. But I really, truly, honestly believe that women are just as intelligent, just as valuable, just as bearing of the truth as a man. It's just that most people don't look at it that way. They see a woman get up on the stand and say, oh, this isn't the church I want to go to, you know. But I really, really honestly, truly believe that women are every bit as valuable as men and every bit as able to preach and speak the truth as a man. But I think some things in the Bible, they say, well, that is the truth, but you know what? Most people don't see that, so let's just not, you know, let's stick with the guys up there because if we don't, and the people who are biased are going to walk away or something like that. Yeah. You know? So I, I really do have great respect for women, though, and their values and their intelligence and their abilities. Personally, and i got to close because we're, we're over time, the reason, this is my personal opinion, why I believe that the Bible says that the women should not be pastors is because I think that they're more in tune to their emotions they're sharper than guys. Their minds go very aggressively, and they see everything that's taking place more so than a guy. And um, if you've ever studied the mind, that's the way the minds work. The women have minds of spaghetti that just go, 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 go consistently. You can't shut off. Guys have minds that can shut off. In fact, if you've ever done a study, there's like boxes that they call the empty box where I can actually just shut my mind off and not think of anything. They put a survey on a woman's mind and say, okay, think of absolutely nothing. And, and they could not not think of nothing. The reason why women are not part of the church is because they are, how do I say this, too strong and emotionally connected and understand so much. And looking at all those people, if I didn't have a shut-off box in my mind, you would all drive me absolutely crazy. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. no, I'm just, just in a sense that they're evaluating, they're looking, they're feeling, they're, there's, there's so much going on. We're just different people. And I believe that when God says, I want a man, it's not because there's any value difference. It's not because there's any authority difference. It's because the way that we function. Women inside, even if they deny it, they want to be loved by their husband. They want to be, they don't want to be in charge. They don't want to focus on, okay, I am the leader of this marriage. They don't want that. They want to be rescued by, and all the movies say that, they want to be rescued by their husbands. Um, so I think that that's, that's a, the structure of the human being, that that's why it's there. So, no, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a value thing at all. So, all right, you guys are dismissed.